This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. You freaks already know all about them. And if you don't, let me tell you about them. The Cash App is allowing you to stack sats. Uh, so you can buy and sell Bitcoin on the Cash App. You can send Bitcoin from the Cash App to a personal wallet, from a personal wallet to the Cash App. And then on top of that, you get uh, the ability to use the Cash App at other places with their boost program. So you get a specialized debit card. Uh, you get to put your signature on it, Bitcoin symbol, Lightning, whatever you see fit. And then you go to partner merchants, whether it be Whole Foods, Chick-fil-A, uh, DoorDash, local coffee shops, and you save money when you shop with your boost card, with your boost enabled. Use the code STACKINGSATS, that's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $5, then $5 is going to go to Alves Lacrosse, a charity very near and dear to our heart. Again, if you haven't downloaded it yet and you're in the U.S. and you're looking to buy Bitcoin, what the hell are you waiting for? Use the code STACKINGSATS. Download the Cash App from your local app store today. Tales from the Crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty here on a Monday afternoon in the relegation studio with a very, very special guest. Also here with Matt O'Dell. Matt, what's going on? What's up, freaks? Uh, we are pressed for time. We have a hard stop in like an hour and a half. We have a lot to get through. This is a very special episode, a subject that Matt and I are fascinated by, but really don't have a good grasp or understanding because we were not participating in this uh, particular market when it was popular. We are sitting here uh, with an ex-vendor from the Silk Road. I'd like to introduce you freaks to John Doe. John. What is cracking? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thanks for reaching out to us. Yeah. And, uh, being willing to tell the story. We've been sitting here for 15 minutes getting like a pre-interview dump of your story and it's been so, fascinating. Yeah, it's a pretty wild one for sure. So so again, we're pressed for time. Let's jump right into it. Uh, we one, like This show is Tales from the Crypt and I've heard up to this point almost 100 tales, give or take from 90 to 100 people. And a lot of it starts with uh, getting in by hearing something about the Silk Road. You were the first person who was actually on the Silk Road right. and got introduced to it that way. So right. let's, let's jump into it. How did you get mixed up with the Silk Road? Yeah, so I mean, it all originally started, um, was at a party one night and, you know, someone came around and was telling me about uh, this thing called the Silk Road and Bitcoin and how you can order essentially anything you want online. And uh, I was just kind of blown away by it and I didn't think it was possible. So, um, you know, I kind of fell down this rabbit hole of reading about it and finding about Bitcoin and Tor and encryption and, and all this stuff. And so um, from there, uh, I went and, you know, bought my first first Bitcoin and started testing. I went on Silk Road and ordered um, some ecstasy from from Europe. And I still was pretty skeptical at this point. I was like, oh, you know, $500. I think it was actually $600 at the time, how much I bought. And I was like, you know, uh, it's probably not going to show up. And sure, like, lo and behold, two weeks later, shows up, just unmarked envelope. And I was just blown away. Blown away, completely floored. Uh, and I, I just, like, sat back in literally awe and it was like how is this possible and then i just it started going deeper i started reading about bitcoin and then um and uh you know i i got this idea that 
I should start selling on there because I was, uh, you know, big in, into the weed scene at the time, and there wasn't a lot of people on Silk Road at, at, at that point that were, were selling, you know, weed. And um, so I became a vendor on there, and I was like, you know, when I first became a vendor, I was like, you know, there's probably going to be no traction. No one's going to want this stuff. No one's going to buy from me. And, like, as I made a vendor account, and probably within two hours later, someone had bought from me. And it was that in itself was crazy. It was just the craziest, craziest thing. So walk us through what it's like being a vendor. What, what do you do? What does the marketplace look like? And how does somebody uh, buy from you? And how do right. you decide whether or not to engage with that person? Right. So from a, from a buyer's perspective, it's a lot like eBay. Like you have uh, rating systems and, you know, there's pictures and product reviews and it's like there's a pretty good user experience from a buyer, from a buyer's perspective. Um, and then, you know, when someone does buy from you and you're the vendor on the opposite end, it, it's almost, it's exactly like um, fulfilling any, like, online order. It comes through on your end, uh, like, X, whatever, they, whatever product they got. And then it will have, you know, their PGP message and you can decrypt that. And from there, you just ship it out. It's, it's really... It's pretty seamless. It's actually crazy when you think about it. So, well, there was many revolutionary things about uh, Silk Road. I mean, it was what we were talking about earlier. It lasted for two years and ten or eleven months, from February two thousand eleven to October two thousand thirteen. Made a huge splash. Um, but before before we dive, like I want to dive into like the Silk Road forums and all that stuff. But let's continue with your personal saga, and then. We'll get back to like the essence of, of right, Silk Road. Right, right. So you started uh, selling weed. People, yes, yes. Yeah, so, so I saw this like uh, gap in the market where there was people selling weed. Um, actually, what I got into was selling edibles because there wasn't there was people selling weed on there, but there wasn't many people selling edibles. So um, I could I was going and getting edibles and then reselling them on there for you know three or four times what I what I would purchase them for, and now i was at the point where okay so i've sold these edibles and i've been paid in bitcoin what do i do with this bitcoin and so the only thing i could realistically think at the time because it was there was no bitcoin atms i'm not even sure if if coinbase or anything like exchanges were around back then i know bitstamp was around but my only logical thing was to go back to being a buyer and so i would buy other products on the Silk Road. So um, I started buying, uh, you know, ecstasy and, and cocaine and all these other things just as a way of liquidating my Bitcoin. So um, it kind of became this like this, this loop where I would turn these edibles into Bitcoin and then I would, wouldn't know what to do with the Bitcoin. And so would buy more product to in turn turn it into cash to buy more edibles to yeah it kind of <laughs> fell on top of itself so. to get that circular economy yeah going. exactly and how long were you doing this for um i think it, it lasted for about i would say eight or nine months is is, is the length of time it was yeah and how uh, how intense did it get for you personally um intense in like what in what sense like like did your the like volume yeah like, the amount of business that you got it was absolutely insane it was absolutely insane like i from the moment i made the account the vendor account um 
I didn't expect anything. And then uh, a couple, like I said, a couple hours later, someone had purchased something from me. So like right there, I was blown away. And then it quickly picked up steam. It quickly was like every day there was $2,000 worth of stuff that needed to go out all over the place. And um, so, yeah, it, it got really crazy. And it just, it really blew my mind. But and then I was thinking about it because I had many times where I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, is this a bad thing that I'm doing? And I was big and I'm still big into like harm reduction. And that was why I really like support these like the Silk Road and all the variants of it is because it essentially is like a harm reduction thing. You know, it's, it's, it's saving people from, from going out on the streets and, and interacting with potentially like dangerous people or anything like that. But yeah, as far as the, the scale of it, it, it got, it got pretty crazy pretty quick. Well, and were you ever like nervous? Like this is getting too big. Um, you know, you said you just, you, constantly question yourself like uh am i doing something good which and, and i would i'm you're talking to somebody who is a, a big anti uh war on drugs right because i don't think i think it causes right. more harm than than good oh definitely at the end of the day but definitely. did you ever get to a point where you're like totally stressed out like this is getting too big maybe or did you like the uh no i like yeah. the thrill of it yeah yeah it wasn't even it was just no i i honestly i knew it was, it was picking up steam and uh and no it was just fun it was just like it was it was it was like i don't know i don't know how to explain there was a rush to it it was like you had built i had built something i had built this like this this brand and people trusted the brand and 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 then also like making the money was was obviously great but seeing the reviews come back from people and, and hitting me with five stars and being happy and i was like wow that's that's crazy. That's really crazy. Well, let's jump into that. Like the drug trade today is uh, on the streets, at least it would seem to me as an outsider looking in like things like fentanyl are getting into the market and mm -hmm. getting mm -hmm. tainted drugs. Right. And people are dying because of it. Right. I think it came out recently that Mac Miller died because mm -hmm. he was doing fentanyl or something laced with fentanyl. Right. And that's what you're talking about, like yeah. harm reduction. Right. And so how did Silk Road enable this harm reduction in your mind? Okay. So like, perfect example like you're saying mac miller uh recently passed or passed away and supposedly was, whatever he was doing was contained fentanyl um so the biggest thing with these marketplaces is if a uh, if you buy something uh for example um some oxycodone pills or whatever it is that you want and the vendor ships it to you and the person on the other end goes to test it, and it's not what they say it is, they're gonna get a bad review, and they're quickly gonna get either delisted or just, just like go into oblivion. So like, it's, up to, it's the vendor's uh, responsibility to make sure that they're delivering exactly what they say it's gonna be. So that's why I'm, I'm a big proponent of it, just because, yeah, like today you have people just dying from from crazy stuff so yeah from tainted drugs right so there was there was a whole like reputation system right so yeah. um how exactly so was it the way you described it just there is was there like also there was moderators that were deciding to delist things as right. well yeah so um because there was there's a whole bunch of different things people would um be a vendor 
for four or five months and be legitimate. And then they would exit scam and all of a sudden just take in orders um, and never ship shit out or, um, yeah. So there was, there was people actively monitoring it. And that's also part of the game too, especially now with the way these marketplaces are. It's just the exit scam is a part of the game and you have to understand that like uh, a vendor that you might, might be reliable now doesn't necessarily mean they will be reliable in a week, a month, or whatever it is. So that's just part of the game. But yeah, there, at the time there were um, lots of, you know, lots of moderators actively checking listings and checking vendors and making sure it was all, it was all kosher. Yeah, for all the flack that Silk Road has gotten in the media since it's uh, since it got shut down, and it's obviously paying as a, a huge boogeyman in the mainstream media in particular. It's enabling drug trade net, but and all that. But at the end of the day, we were discussing this before we hit record too. Is that a lot of the people went to the Silk Road for the forums and sort of the the free market vibe and and had really. Uh, I don't want to say not optimistic, but had pure intentions and, and, and good intentions at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. No, I actually think it's a big misunderstanding is that like a lot of people think of the Silk Road as just a marketplace and it was a marketplace, but that was probably maybe 40 to 50% at most of what it was. Like a lot of the other huge part of it was the forums. Like there was thousands of people there that never ever interacted with the marketplace never bought anything they would just go on the forums to discuss ideas uh bitcoin economics like philosophy it was just this crazy community of people just coming together and sharing ideas it was really it was really like really cool you could spend your whole day getting lost just in all these ideas and um even even the uh, site operator, Red Pirate Roberts, was a huge proponent of the forums. And he was not always there, you know, pushing, talking about the newest update or security thing. A lot of it was him, he had this thing called the Dread Pirate, Dread Pirate Roberts Book Club, where he would uh, talk about uh, certain ideological books that he was reading at the time and have conversations about it. And so, yeah, there was this, there still is this m misunderstanding about the Silk Road and that it was just for drugs, and it really wasn't. Let's jump uh, more into Dread Pirate Roberts. Like, how, how much of a focal point was he to the site? Or was he a Satoshi-like figure where he built it and sort of faded into the background and just peeped yeah. in whenever he could? Or was he uh, somebody that was sought after in the forums like pretty heavily? It's hard to say because uh, my understanding of it is that the Dread Pirate Roberts wasn't... It, it was one person... Who ran the site, but I think it was the account itself was passed through many people. Mm -hmm. So no one really knows. Like I know Ross Ulbricht is serving time for being Dread Pirate DPR, but realistically, I don't believe that he is DPR. Like I think there was multiple people. People the account was passed down so it's it's hard to say yeah who who's epr but he played um a big role yeah a big role and people looked up to him i would say yeah yeah it's pretty shitty to see what happened to ross what are horrible what are, what are your so that's so horrible ross is serving two life sentences now yeah and he never acted as a vendor right uh, no, 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 no. Um, so or I wouldn't know if he did. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on on Ross, his situation, and sort of the end of Silk Road, the the original ver uh, vision, at least? 
I think that he was just a fall man, honestly. Like, they had to, it was getting to the point where um, they had to do something about these marketplaces, or Silk Road was the one, but, like, they, it was being put in the news, and it was the Amazon of drugs, and so they had to um, pin someone for it, essentially. They can't let that go. Uh, just just let everyone know that this this is out there and it's you know so i think he was a fall guy you know if he had some involvement in it i don't know um but i really do believe that like the the other dprs are there was multiple of them so yeah and it and it's really shitty to see what happened to him he doesn't deserve any of that especially when when how i know about silk road and like harm reduction and the forums and everything about it and he's just looked at as this like kingpin of 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 murder for hires which was all bullshit and yeah so let's jump into that that's uh one of the the main uh i believe they charged him with it but he was never found guilty of it right right yeah and he was sort of goaded and it was one of those situations where the fbi set him up and like sort of goaded him yeah i forget i forget all the details of it specifically but i know there was two corrupt agents actually involved in who are doing time now for it and they were uh giving out information to dpr or someone involved with the website about their investigation into it so they were playing both sides of the fence so right there they were they were all corrupt and um and uh wait uh, yeah so i mean it, it was all it was all corrupt and then uh, um I think they dropped the charges. Yeah, they, they wound up dropping the charges. Fire. It wasn't even that they found him not guilty. I don't even think they... It never... Yeah, I, they, they, they charged him originally, I think, just to paint him bad in the press, and yeah. then they dropped the yeah. charges eventually. That's 100% yeah. what it was. Yeah. Because it never... Re- like, it, there was a lot of talk about the murder for hire, and it, was, it came out that they had staged it, and it wasn't really a thing. And that's what they were doing. Is, that's why I think Ross was the fall guy. They're throwing enough mud up on the wall to paint Ross in this negative light. And seeing if something sticks. No, it's it's funny the dichotomy of how they're picturing him and how they caught him and what he was doing when he like he he was he felt so confident. What and maybe maybe he was naive, but he was in a coffee shop with his laptop just working. His library, yeah. normal dude. Right. Was it a library? Like I thought San it was a coffee Francisco shop. In a public library. I thought it was a coffee shop. Uh, but either way, it was a public. place. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, they devised uh, a plan. In a public place, I believe it was a coffee shop, and they like the agents, or whatever, like faked a fight, like in another part of the restaurant. Like Ross, like stood up, and his laptop was open. And they grabbed it before he could like close it. Like, come everything. on! I mean, like that just I knowing that the two agents involved were corrupt to start with, and that Ross, supposedly the mastermind behind all this thing, just had his computer open and everything right there, and a notepad with all the details. Like, they got him to sign in too because. It's much harder. Like you can't. It's not encrypted. The laptop isn't encrypted while it's running. Um, so they needed him to like sign into the service and have his laptop connected to power um, and unlocked. Mm. So I think they there was some kind of uh, they like set a trap for him online to begin with that he had to sign in. They like there was some reason why he had to sign in. Something was going wrong. He had to sign in, and then they waited till he signed in to hit him. Yeah. Either way, he got fucked. And that's how they got the BTCE guy. Mm-hmm. He was oh, right. on vacation, and they waited till he signed in, and then they they drove an unmarked car through his gate. So when he ran out in his robe to scream at whoever was drove it in, they arrested him and went inside, and the computer was unlocked. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't know that. But yeah, I feel bad. Feel bad for that guy. He doesn't deserve any of that. Doesn't. No. Do you think we'll ever get Ross out? I hope so. I really hope so. I did too. I feel. I mean, he could end up getting out on one of these. You know. Pardon all non non-violent drug offenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy thing. He's serving two life sentences for a non-violent offense. And right. So, and that's the other thing. Like, even though they sh- shut down the Silk Road, like many have have, it's like a hydra. Like many drug markets have right. have sprouted and it's and it's out of its ashes. Right. Like, so have you been following the proliferation of yeah. its copycat, not copycats, but its predecessors? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been, I can't even count how many now have, have developed um, since since the original one. It's, it's, I mean, it feels like every day there's a new one, but the whole marketplaces have changed. Silk Road, when it was around, was really reputable. And he was really, the, like, the ideals of it was really harm reduction. And then you've got places now that, um, I, th- you know, there's sheep marketplace and dream marketplace and, uh, I can't even, I can't even forget them all, but they'll be around for four or five months and you think they're following the ideals of the original Silk Road only to find out that they're just planning one massive exit scam. Yeah. So it's changed a lot. How do these exit scams work typically? Um, well, I mean, essentially, you, you know, the, the site operators build up the trust of the community cause there's a gap, you know, as one site goes down. There needs a there's a void to fill. So, so now this new marketplace comes on, and for six months, maybe a year, however long it is, they build up the trust of their users and vendors that they're there for the long haul. And then one day they'll just disable withdrawals and just just disappear with everyone's money. Damn, classic exit scam. Yeah. Um, do you, do you think there will be an altruistic Silk Road original Silk Road like service that pops up, or is there one that has uh, has turned out not to be an exit scam in your mind? No, I don't think I I don't believe no. I think it will keep playing out how it is. You know, it'll be around for four, for a site will be around for four or five months, and it'll eventually exit scam or get caught, or or whatever it is. Um, until there's a, a like a decentralized way of doing it, and I don't know how that happens. Um, I think it's this is like the new normal. The new, yeah, the new normal. But, yeah. I mean, you don't even need it to be decentralized. I, I haven't been following any of the new ones, but mm. I, I could, you could easily imagine like a non-custodial, right, uh, right. like multi-sig right. version. Escrow. Right? Yeah. Where like they only control one key, the user controls the other keys. Right. Escrow could be multi-sig. And then the exit scam, they can't take that much money. Yeah, and there might be. I, but I, I still have the vendors. The vendors can always exit scam. Right, vendors can always exit scam, and and there might be. I haven't followed it recently. Maybe there is one with a uh, you know, uh, multi sig escrow or however. That's what I'm saying. I'd be surprised if there weren't. You know. Yeah, there probably are, but also it also is up to the vendor, to be willing to accept that type of order. Like a lot of these vendors, will require payment up front especially with, with larger quantities of stuff. So it's at the end of the day, if, if, if a buyer comes in and it wants to pay with Monero or something, and the vendor can, you know, no, I don't want to take that. Or so, yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, the big question is, is Bitcoin still the dominant cryptocurrency in these dark markets? Is oh, it yeah. something like Monero? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of them, you'll, you'll see some vendors say they accept Monero and, and Litecoin and stuff, but... I mean, I don't have any of the stats on on who who's buying what with that, but yeah, Bitcoin is king for yeah. sure. And 
so this this world sort of introduced you to the world of Bitcoin. How did the right. Silk Road help you come to understand and appreciate Bitcoin? Yeah, so it's kind of a crazy, crazy. That's another crazy part of my story too. Is uh, when I was a vendor on there and was going through that whole route of selling edibles and getting Bitcoin for it and and turning into um, other products to sell online. Um, I was uh, arrested for an unrelated uh, drug possession charge. Um, and I served some time for that. Actually, it was about four years that I did. And uh, during that time, Bitcoin had appreciated tremendously in value. So it was like this, uh, what were you saying, a, a forced, forced hodl? The for, the, yeah, the forced hodl. The forced yeah. hodl. You weren't in a coma. Yeah. <laughs> you were just forced to hodl for four Yeah, I couldn't get a laptop in jail. So uh, actually really grateful for them because it's, it's kind of a crazy thing. I probably would have, you know sold it at, at 60 or 70 dollars and because of them i didn't so yeah i'm pretty grateful it's a weird story one of the few cases that i guess people are grateful for going to jail <laughs> what um like did you get out realize how much to appreciate and be like well i probably shouldn't touch this now if i waited so, yeah that's a, that's an inter- yeah so it's a really interesting so i went in that the idea is bitcoin is just used as a medium of exchange to buy these things and i came out how it is now, I'm like, whoa, this thing is not, it, it can be used to buy things, but it's more so the store of value. And that's when I, when I got out, that's when I started falling down this whole other rabbit hole of really figuring out what Bitcoin is about and, and you know, the game theory and economics. And like, I'm just grateful for Bitcoin because it's like, it's kind of weird to say, but it's like saved my life. It's, I never graduated college or anything like that, but it's taught me so much about it economics and game theory and and history as a finance and all these crazy things and yeah so when i when i came out and it was had appreciated in price that yeah it was it had changed my view on what it is and and, and all that were you following it all while you were in jail a little bit a little bit i got i got letters it wasn't mostly it was mostly just um like the price of it right now stuff like that i never um got like uh, magazines or articles or any any news like that so when i came out i was just pretty much in shock it, i guess it would be similar to going in before going into jail and there was no cell phones and coming out and there's cell phones it was pretty it was a pretty big culture shock and what did you do immediately when you saw the price of bitcoin were you i almost shit myself <laughs> <laughs> what was it at when you got out uh when i well when i went in i think it was around uh 20 maybe 25 dollars um when I first got out, I think they made that first climb to uh, 200-ish. Um, and then I was like, well, okay, so this, this is more than just a, 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 uh, something that you buy drugs with. And then uh, quickly thereafter, it made the climb to 1,000 off the Mount Gox, uh, Willy Bot or whatever it was, um, and then crashed. And then, you know, all through all these waves, just been holding and like learning more. And it's just, it's been crazy. What's been your, your learning journey? What, uh, what did you hop into and sort of use to, uh, sort of harden your belief in the huddle mentality? Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it was you know, like YouTube with, with Andreas, like everyone says, um, from there, um, a lot of podcasts, this podcast specifically. Um, but, um, I don't know, man, I, I, I just, I Twitter, following people and just uh, everything. Now, more recently, um, like Safety Dean's book, I just got Jimmy Song's new... Uh, Little Bitcoin yeah, book. Yeah, I just got that one, so I'm going to start reading that. 
but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just nonstop learning. It never ends. It's it could be it's a full time job just keeping up with with everything that's going on. Yeah, it's good for us yeah. to try to help people keep up with what's going on. Yeah, we know that one firsthand. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So what? Uh, damn man, what, what's it like doing hard time? Was that? Uh, you said uh, you're happy you did. Like, are you, are you genuinely happy that? Uh, yeah. No, I'm. I'm. I'm uh, really grateful that. I did do the time and it's kind of, it's just kind of weird. The time itself is pretty lonely. Um, before I went in, I had a lot of like friends, but they weren't really friends. They were kind of just hanging around me because, you know, like uh, I was partying and stuff like that. When then when I went to jail, I didn't get, no one really wrote me letters. Um, so it was a little lonely at first, but that's, I developed a really like uh, this passion for learning. Cause I had nothing to do in there besides read books. So, um, when I was in school, I never, never went to class. Uh, and I was just too immature. So I just never had developed that passion for learning. And then in there I had developed, I love, I would read a book, you know, at least a book every two or three days. So just, just, just loving it. What, uh, what subjects in particular? Oh, anything, man. I read, um, uh, business books about creating companies, uh, marketing books. I really like Seth Godin. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him. He's a big marketer. Um, but anything, anything I can get my hands on, they had a lot of fiction. Um, and then, and then I just continued that when I got out, I just kept reading and then, uh, got, got into, you know, the YouTube stuff and all, all those, all the other types. So it's been, it's been crazy. Yeah. Fuck, man. This is fascinating. This might be the most fascinating story we've had come through TFTC. Yeah, it's a very different story from from all the other podcasts I hear. So um, it's a, it's a it's a it's a cool story. And then when I look back on it, it's almost like a crazy to think that that I went through it, that I that it happened. It's almost it almost seems like not real. So what is your life like now? What are you doing looking forward? Yeah. So right now my life is really mellow. I just I just like to read work out and uh that's really it and I, I um don't have like your typical nine to five given you know the forced huddle and I'm lucky in the I'm lucky to be in the position that I'm in just traveling and just enjoying really enjoying life it's it's cool yeah well fuck man we're uh we're where's your travel taking you okay you so yeah disclosing. yeah no 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 um in the east coast right now never been in the east coast so this is this is really cool to be here. Um, and then I'm uh, going to go back home for a little bit. And then from there, probably, I don't know, I really want to check out uh, Germany is where I want to go next. So we'll, we'll see. It's kind of on a whim wherever, wherever I end up. Damn, dude. Yeah. Uh, what? So giving your story, your connection with Silk Road mm -hmm. and it seems like you have a, a very big passion for liberty and, and huge and harm reduction and also like, what is your view on the state of the world and uh, like the state apparatus and how it sort of uh, imbues these cages on us, if you will. Um, I mean, it's getting a lot worse. I can tell you that like people's liberties are disappearing. I didn't think the saddest thing to think about is like most people just don't care or aren't aware to what's, what's really going on. Um, you know, specifically, most recently with the stuff in Hong Kong and all that going on. But yeah, people are just not aware with um, how much of their liberties they give up with with technology and Facebook and your phone. And, and it's nice to have these things, but 
yeah, it's kind of it's scary to see the way I think the way the world's heading. Are you optimistic or? Um, I am optimistic. I'm optimistic because of Bitcoin. Yeah. 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 That's the one reason I'm optimistic about it because I think that's Bitcoin really has the ability to defund all these governments and things that are doing this, and it's a completely grassroots movement. And it's like the, it's all aligned. All the, all the ideals are aligned perfectly. So I'm optimistic because of that. That's actually one thing I'm interested to hear your perspective on is you were involved with Bitcoin on the Silk Road in very early days. Uh, so when you got out of jail and saw like the discourse around Bitcoin, mm. like where the industry was in particular, like how, how had the conversation around Bitcoin changed and were you happy with the direction it went in uh, over the course of your sentence? Or are you talking about like the forks and stuff? Is that what you're saying? Or like what do you just saying? anything? Like the way people were talking about Bitcoin in 2011, that'd be drastically different than in 2015, 2016. Yeah, right? yeah, well, definitely is definitely very different. Um, I can only talk about it from my perspective. Like I always thought of it as this thing to buy stuff with, and then I, you know, I got out and it was my whole view on it's changed. And I think that's kind of the understanding people have of it now. It's also weird for me to even hear the word Bitcoin. When, uh, you know, I was out at a bar the other night and I heard some people mention it because I come from a time when Bitcoin was exclusively like drug, like drugs, essentially, like or it was very closely connected to it. Whereas now it's really been it's a financial instrument now. It's it's big time. So hearing people talk about it still kind of weirds me out because I'm like, I come from from a scene where it, it's not that and I'm still getting used to used to people talking about it normally what did you think bitcoin was going to turn into when you were when you were a vendor did you just think it would be something ephemeral that would die out eventually and then move to something else or no actually um i remember uh even before i became a buyer or a vendor on silk road i remember hearing about the silk road uh, this guy told me about the silk road and then i remember uh you know bitcoin along with it and i remember telling my buddy i was like yo this thing is crazy how can you buy stuff online and not not be stopped and right there i knew it was something big because it allowed you to do something that before you couldn't do i remember telling my one buddy i was like you know hey sink a thousand bucks into this thing if it doesn't become something then you lost a thousand bucks it's really not a big deal and it was seven dollars and sixty cents at the time and so he made off pretty well but he listened to you yeah he did boss yeah i uh so like the the weakest part of these markets is is by far the actual mailing of the of the items, right? So like at your peak there, that must have been pretty crazy. You were mailing a ton of ton of stuff, right? Right. Yeah, from a vendor perspective, um yeah, any any time you just like as long as you have your you've done what you can as far as your digital per, persona online to safeguard that. But yeah, there is um like you got to eventually interact with the physical world and mail the packages. So, and if you're a buyer, you have to receive a package right, too. Right. Yeah. But as far as a buyer goes, like, I mean, there's, it's plausible deniability. Like anyone can mail something to someone and doesn't necessarily mean, right. You know, that you bought it. Yeah. Especially right. If there's no paper trail. Right. Right. So there is plausible deniability from the buyer, um, from the buyers and with that, but, um, but yeah, I mean, inner, yeah, it, at the height, um, 
when you know delivering all these packages and, and dropping them off and stuff was a logistic nightmare for sure. And I think they made it more they made it way more difficult nowadays than it used to be. Yeah. In terms of getting postage and sending something without a paper trail. Right. Yeah, that was a hard thing that took me a couple of months to figure out how to how to do that properly. Well, again, like talking about the evolution of these drug markets, was it the dream market that is doing like the 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 um no, it's, a, Ru- the it's G- a different Russian market. And, yeah, some Russian market. Yeah, the drops, the geo yeah. drops, where they're just yeah. dropping coordinates and being like, "Here, pick it up here," right. which is pretty. It's a pretty genius way to get around it, actually. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of ways people do, it. and that's, and I think that's uh, an interesting thing too. Is just because one of these marketplaces go down, even if all the marketplaces go down, it's not gonna stop. <laughs> right. So that's when I, you, when you finally come to the conclusion that. Regardless if you think drugs are good or drugs are bad, that's really not important. It's just we've already opened Pandora's box and we're not going back. It's the same thing with Bitcoin. Like, you can't go back now. It's already... They can't go back. Like, weed is called weed because it's a fucking weed. It grows everywhere. Right. Like, you, how, who are you to stop somebody from ingesting? Like, it comes back to uh, personal liberties and stuff like that. Like, Again, like yeah, drugs. People are have done drugs for millennia. Right. They're gonna keep doing drugs. Might as well make it safe, right? Yeah. And you have less Mac Millers and Prince. I think Prince died because uh, there was some fentanyl in his drugs as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. It, it would, do you see the the tide of this conversation turning in America or around the world at all? As far as as far as like drugs go, yeah. Um, I hope so. I mean, you have places like Portugal, so I think eventually, like. You know, over time, um, you know, yeah, I, I'm I'm optimistic about it. I don't know if it will be in my lifetime, but um, but yeah, we, I mean, we've seen it. You know, growing up, we got weed legal or weed uh, getting decriminalized and legalized in a lot of states now. Um, and I think didn't didn't Colorado recently do something with with mushrooms or something like that? So like, it's, people are slowly starting to come around to. This idea, maybe, yeah. I know ayahuasca is legal in Oakland, which caught me off guard. Okay, I didn't in know Oakland? about that. Yeah. Just the city of Oakland? Just the city of Oakland, yeah. Interesting. Huh. They had a one-up They had a one up San Francisco and get some tourism dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to touch on was, I guess back then, like a lot of the narrative around Bitcoin was that it was anonymous. Um, a lot of people that thought it was anonymous back then have, have you know, since realized that right. it's you know has a lot of privacy issues right uh what are your thoughts on that you know how important is it that you're able to use bitcoin privately that 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 it can be used for these um possibly illicit things you know depending on which government it is and how, and how they decide what's illicit and what's not you know how, how important is the actual censorship resistant properties of bitcoin yeah, so uh, I was part of that group early on that thought it was anonymous. Um, so, and then now, obviously, you know it's not. But, it, I mean, going forward, um, you know, you got things like Wasabi and Samurai and all those things that are, there There will be tools and in due time, it'll be, it'll be fungible and, and everything like that. I don't necess- necessarily think, like, uh, it needs to be, like, Monero on the base layer or right. anything like that. But um, it's still super important. Oh, it's yeah. very important. One of the interesting things about Silk Road is that it was 
also one of the first mixers mm. i'm pretty sure right uh, do you remember that process like when you deposited funds to the silk road they would i think they would they would mix them up for you okay. yeah that would yeah. make sense actually because the coin join all-time high was in like 2012 or something like that it's part of the reason why they needed to be custodial too right i forget yeah i know they did have a mixer in there it kind of um running blank on it right now and then there was a couple other ones at the time too that were essentially just uh, websites yeah just would. yeah exactly i forget the name of them but um but even back then not a lot of people like use those i mean if you if you deposit in the silk road i think by default it would do a little like coin join a little i'm not sure if i don't it even did. think it was coin join i think it was just oh just a tumbler custodial tumbler yeah. yeah yeah so but i don't think like that was back then like most people thought it was anonymous so i don't even think like right most people care but they weren't really thinking about it yeah well i wasn't thinking about right. it and then now i'm like super aware of of what it is and, and but i'm i'm optimistic again about the way this technology is heading so yeah it seems to be uh heading in a good direction it was actually what i read about uh in the bent this morning was just future thinking of the future and the bigger picture of all this and specifically citing a piece that nick carter wrote um the name of it is escaping me and then uh bitcoin is a peaceful revolution yes uh, Bitcoin is a peaceful revolution, and then that was a great title. This uh, it's a great article. This other article that came out this morning from Paradigma Capital, I believe. I'm gonna butcher that, uh, but it was like uh, Bitcoin, a, like a Pax Bitcoinia, like similar to Pax Romana, thinking 150 years into the future. And it does feel like if Bitcoin is successful, it it can. Uh, basically enable us to to fight back against these state powers and eventually have the state sort of negotiate with us and be right. like, hey, uh, a, a sort of menu option of state services, I could see that arising in the future. I don't really have a particular question or anything. I just wanted to go on there. No, no, I, I, I hear what you're talking about, and I definitely think about that too. It's like I think the world and a lot can change in 10 years. And then if you think about if Bitcoin really does what it set out to do which i i'm so bullish on i think it will 100 percent. like the world is going to be drastically different than than what we have now we might you know have different borders or i don't know what it's going to look like it, it's almost i can't even fathom what it will be you know because yeah. it's like thinking about thinking about what the world will be like with the internet you know in the 80s or the 70s it's like you can't you can't even fathom that so. well i can't even fathom like your how much this is ingrained in your mind too, because you're forced hodl, like coming out and not having that that big of an inclination of of how big Bitcoin had gotten over the four years that you were in jail, and coming out and be like, holy shit, like maybe that's what everybody needs is a four years forced hodl. Stop thinking yeah. about it and time lock it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what? I guess what? Like I, I want to dive into like your mentality while. Like while you were, were you thinking about your Bitcoin a lot, and were you worried about it while you were in jail? Um, uh, no, honestly, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about it really at all. Um, mostly because um, I didn't know what the price was. So I was, yeah, I just I honestly forgot about it. Um, thank God, you know, I had a, a proper setup when I had made my vendor account, and cold storage, and things like that. Um, so when I did get out, it was there. But um, no, when I when I w went in, 
And while I was in there, I wasn't thinking about it too much. And then when I got out, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. How long after you got out did like the Bitcoin price, was it a couple of days, a couple of hours? Uh, was it something you checked right away or was it something that popped up in a headline? You're like, what the fuck? Um, I don't remember. I don't even think I checked it right when I got out. I think it was like a couple of days later. I just was like, oh, yeah, I got Bitcoin. And then I checked the price randomly maybe a week later and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I don't, it, it's just, it's just crazy. It's just crazy start to finish. Uh, this is, again, this is probably one of the craziest stories that we've had on TFTC. Yeah. Um, what time we got here? But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's cool. I'm really grateful. It's funny. Anytime you hear, I, I met a lot of people in jail who are very bitter about the situation that they were in and understandably so, um, uh, but for me, it was like it was it was just like a really eye opening experience. Like, like I said, learning, just having finding my passion for learning, and then the forced hodl, and just making the best of like the bad situation that it was. So, it it was it was, I mean, in a weird way, it was a good thing. And you were young, right? Yeah, I was, I was young. Yeah. 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 Fuck, man. Yeah. I think. Uh, is there any, like. So that, yeah, you were cut off from technology and the rest of the world for, for four years. Mm -hmm. Like what, like, is there any lessons you can learn from being disconnected that, that you could sort of imbue to the freaks out there or yeah. do, you, do you, are you, what, what is the life of like refreshing Twitter every five seconds? Like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it too, having my phone out all the time, but I noticed there's, you know, uh, a couple months ago I broke my phone and I just realized it was a day before I got a new phone. And I just realized how much time people spend looking at screens. And so I really make it like a, or I try my best to be present in, in right now when I'm talking to someone, not to be also on my phone. And that's like a big thing I learned was in, in there is like, you don't have technology. All you got, you're, when you're having a conversation with someone in there, in jail, um, you are only talking to them. And now it's, you know, this generation is you're having a conversation with someone, but you're also, they might be on their phone having another conversation with two or three other people. So it's, uh, and I'm guilty of it too, but, but yeah, just being, just being present and, and, and yeah. Engaged. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things I love about the, this podcast is because we mm. have conversations with so many people mm. and it's completely like socially unacceptable for them to be like checking their phone and stuff. So you're like, right. you're put, you're, you're like put into this forced, you know, we just recorded uh, an episode with, with Arbed Out on Twitter and it was like a three hour epic episode and no one looked at their phones the whole time. Right. Uh, and that's like, so that's so rare in today's society for you to have a three hour conversation with someone. Yeah. Um, and have zero distractions. And I, I've, I've seen that spill over into my real life situations where I'm always, you know, trying to make eye contact all the time and eye contact's key and put your no, phone it, away, put on silent. And these conversations, these we're, we're only 46 minutes in here, but even 45 minutes of straight right. talking on one subject is not something that many people do anymore. And again, like you said, everybody's checking Twitter or, or their texts while they're talking. And I mean, that's the reason why we have this sort of open long form type structure on this podcast, whatever you, you dive into subjects that, I mean, Rogan basically mm. paved the way and right. just dive into something very, very 
intently. Were there any other like major paradigm shifts that you noticed? Because I mean, that was like a pretty. I think that was like a a pretty structural four years just in society in general. Was there anything that really stood out? Like the Syria debacle went down during then. Um, I mean, like the well, like smartphones weren't really that big when you went in, right? Right. And you came out, and now everyone has like a supercomputer in their pocket. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it. It. I'm sure there was, and I've I've been out for more than a few years now, so it's I'm. I probably forget all of them, but yeah, definitely the cell phone thing. Like I said, everyone's on their everyone's on their phones now. So, um, Bitcoin itself, but just the way people, yeah, the way people interact with with each other is is, is different. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, yeah. do you have any? Was there any Bitcoin friends in in jail? Um, I had brought it up to a couple people, and a couple people had heard of it, but. But not, not not really, really. not really, yeah. So, um, and I was in a couple different facilities, um, but so yeah, some people had heard of it, um, but I don't know what to what extent they were involved with it though. I feel like it would be like a pretty effective place to shill Bitcoin. Yeah, because you know, everyone's got so much time on their hands. They're very much a like a nothing to lose kind of. Uh, mentality right it's 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 interesting too because i'm in there um you know talking trying to educate myself and then i like conversation so trying to have a conversation with someone in there about bitcoin or whatever it is that you're doing um you got to kind of tread lightly because of the area you're in and the situation you're in the environment that when you go up to someone naturally they're apprehensive when you go up to them. They think the worst. They're what do you what are you coming to me for? So um, it's a little difficult to have conversations with people in there, um, and that's why I mostly just stuck to myself and read and, and stuff like that. Oh, that's actually kind of interesting. So I mean, with Bitcoin, I think it's like really important to have an adversarial mindset. Mm. Um, mm. You know, don't trust, verify. Right. Uh, do you think do you think that doing time kind of shaped that mindset for you in a lot of ways? And the, you know, like that you were just inherently skeptical of other people. Yeah, I mean, Silk Road probably made you naturally think that way as well, too. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's a good thing to be uh, skeptical, and and if you know, you don't want to be a sheep, so you need to be able to hear someone's opinion. But then also not believe it for truth and or take it for truth and, and, and create your own understanding of what they're saying. So, yeah. Yeah, dive in yourself. Yeah. That's one thing I've tried to be more cognizant of on Twitter in particular is is not retweeting uh, clickbait headlines. Because that, uh, that's, that's the other thing, actually, in this day and age, that's crazy, especially with protest and mm-hmm. uh, events similar to protests where you get videos and the, the rainforest burning down was another example you get videos and pictures from a completely different situation and you don't even know right. uh, if it's true or not so just trying to yeah dive into the, to the news and the layers beyond it yeah yeah there's it's we have a, an abundance of information right now and because of that you know you can there's a lot of noise and you, you got to sift through it on your own and i think that's what the, the skeptics that's why it's good to be skeptical yeah you got to sift through that stuff no, yeah, Bitcoin really 
pushes that mindset to the fore, like, and brings skepticism to other aspects in your life, right? Right. Like, uh, inherently skeptical of the news these days, and across the board. Right. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't believe anything the news says. First off, um, but Twitter. Twitter has been been pretty amazing. I, I just. I mean, the stuff you can learn on there from. Uh, you know, people in Argentina or Venezuela, you can find people on the ground that are living that that life instead of reading it through uh, the lens of a reporter who's putting their little twist on it. You can. So I like Twitter for that. You can really get get hands on get to the source. It actually yeah. works out great for us where we talk. We talking about Argentina the last couple of weeks. I've had a few Argentines hop into my DMs like, yo, mm. here's what's going down on the scene. But then again, I. I'm that reporter sort of trying to, uh, right. to, uh, reporter. I can't believe I just called myself a reporter. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I feel a great amount of responsibility trying to convey that information accurately. And it, it does differ than, than what a lot of people will say what's happening on the ground and what's actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. Primary sources. Yeah. We have so much access to primary sources now. Right. And you're a great example of one. Like, yeah. Again, Silk Road, something that, I've talked about a lot of people on this podcast have talked about a lot, but a lot of people, I would argue most who uh, have been on this podcast talking about Silk Road have have never actually interacted with it or or been a part of it. I mean, I never used it. Right. Um, Yeah, yeah, Silk Road was before my time, my Bitcoin time. Well, Silk Road was actually my original introduction to Bitcoin. Um, I just didn't think it could work, and I was sketched out by the mailing of things. Right. I would refuse to receive like a package in the mail. Yeah. Um, and that's understandable. Again, the skepticism yeah. you're talking about, you're like, eh, how could this work? And even if it does like putting myself at risk, like, yeah. And I, I, I like if you're a young person too, there's, there's a lot of access you can get, you can get stuff if you need to get stuff and you just True. pay in cash and never have to, um, it's not really, that need for it in the first place. It's not really place. hard to find pot in this city. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's what was crazy, too, is, is um, obviously you get, you know, the place the places I was shipping stuff to, some of them, um, you know, would make sense if, you know, certain, if pot wasn't legalized there, it would make sense to be shipping to, you know, Kansas or wherever it was going at the time. But then there were places, too, that I was kind of blown away. I'm like, why am I sending this here? Because I know... You guys have easy access to it. And then it kind of struck me, maybe this person is a 55, 60-year-old um, father or grandpa or you don't know who's on the other end of that. And so they just like the comfort of their own house and knowing that they can wait and it'll come and it's, and it's exactly what it says it's going to be. And, and that's and that's that. So. And there's many layers to the the safety, like physical safety, obviously, but then like social, I don't want to call it social safety, but people who are, uh, apprehensive to, to walk into a dispensary and right. quote unquote, uh, jeopardize their social capital or whatever. Right. Um, again, state the safety of their own homes and right. get a package and nobody knows anything is happening. No, yeah. I mean, if it's completely legal, I would much prefer to just have it delivered. Right. you never have to talk to anyone. You never have to just like everything else, just like <laughs> everything we order from Amazon, you get a cheaper price to get a better product. Yeah. The only friction there is the it being the illegal. weight. Yeah. 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 So what about that? Did you have do you think most of your buyers were like end users? 
that were consuming it themselves or do you think it was more of like a distribution to then like a local dealer who Good was question. then selling? Yeah, honestly, don't know. Um, you can kind of like, I can kind of parse through uh, the information that I got from their orders, which was, you know, basically just the quantity. Yeah, quantity kind of tells yeah, you. Yeah, right? can, can tell me something. Um, so I can make assumptions based off that, but you never know, like, if someone is just a really, they just love weed and they smoke a lot of weed or, or if they like to party and do, do cocaine or whatever right. it is they do, you don't know. But yeah, I assume there was, um, a fair amount of people who were also, um, purchasing from me to, to make money off it. Like that's yeah. how like the way I found out about it. The first time I ever found out about Bitcoin was my buddy was going to school and he was at a different college than me and him and his roommate would buy on Silk Road and then they would sell to all the college, like their fellow college kids. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure there, there's a lot of people that, that did the same thing with, with me, but I never, I mean, I never, I never spent too much time thinking about it. I was just, I was just so, uh, busy. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy to see how, how quickly that market flourished too because oh, it was yeah. truly free like was that like was it like a just a constant adrenaline rush yeah i mean waking up every day and and just seeing the rows of orders i was just like there's this is crazy this is absolutely crazy um so yeah it was it was wild and then i remember when eventually the silk road i was trying to just sign on to the site and it had they had that fbi seized uh landing page and i was like what that was crazy in itself too to see i was like how 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 did that how did that happen how and it was kind of sad to see it was sad to see like the whole community go away and then shift to where it is now to this um you know, dynamic of there'll be a marketplace for five or six months and exit scamming and it's, it's changed. So sort of fractured the, right. Yeah. The community that was on the forums. Yeah. And there still is, there still is also, there are, uh, sites on tour that are exclusively forums. They're not marketplaces. So there still does exist that community. Um, but not, I wouldn't say to the extent that it was, or maybe I mean, it might even be bigger than it was, but it felt like more of a, a community back then. I would say. Yeah. Were you caught off guard when the FBI seized it? Yeah. It was unexpected. Very. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I I was. I I thought I went to the wrong site or something. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get it. And you found this out after your release. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, that was a big story for for a while, and it's, it's probably why I eventually dove down the rabbit hole in, in earnest was what the fuck is going on here did you you lost did you lose some bitcoin on it when it went down um yeah i think i i probably lost like probably 40 or 50 yeah craziness but i remember tim i remember draper probably owns them now what i said tim draper probably owns them now yeah son of a bitch <laughs> um no good guy but um i remember at the height when it was every week uh my escrow account would be about two or three hundred bitcoin a week I remember Shit. so but back then it was about it was i think 12 bucks so you know yeah but Craziness. to think to think about that now it's like holy shit but back then it was a couple thousand bucks 
stuck in that. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I signed up, I was like one of the first users to sign up for Coinbase. And I think they were giving out $100. Yeah, it was 0.1 Bitcoin. You know, 10 million sats they were giving out with every new sign up. Yeah. It's fucking insane when you think about it. And now. you go back to uh, even before that when Gavin had that, uh, that faucet that was just getting people five, like people could go and get five free Bitcoin. Uh, on Bitcoin Talk, I'm pretty right. sure. That got gamed by, by bots. Yeah, it got but, drained super quickly. Yeah. It says a lot about Gavin that he had a <laughs> gameable faucet. <laughs> but I think that's also how we'll look back five, ten years from now. And, you know, people are talking about, you know, how even one whole Bitcoin is going to be crazy. So There was people buying .01 Bitcoin on Cash App two years ago. I mean, we're, yeah. we're playing in a fantasy league... Uh, with a bunch of other Bitcoiners on Twitter. And the entry fee was a million sats. So the prize pool is 12 million sats. And oh, I was baby. thinking about that the other day. I was like, in a couple of years, we're going to look back and be like, fuck, I should have paid more attention to that league. Right. <laughs> Me, definitely. I'm getting my dick pushed in right yeah, now. Yeah, Marty auto-drafted the draft. I was, at a, I, was a, I was at dinner. That whole time I was like, Marty, you just auto-drafted away millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's also it's also cool too I really like uh, you know the the idea of time preference too I've become super aware of and I literally like you're talking about like how do I live I I live a really like kind of like reclusive life now where um, you know I have the the choice to go buy uh, brand new shoes and I still wear these shoes are probably four or five years old I just don't because I'd rather just buy some bitcoin I just that's it it just is like it's good for you. it's good for your health, you know. Right. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy. Like that's that's one thing. I I have like this is one of two pairs of shorts. I have right. two pairs of pants, a few t-shirts. Just cycle through those and. Yeah, you just realize the importance of I don't know, just the importance of sacrificing, like luxuries right now for for potential, uh, future like your future self. So you know it's it's cool to think about it. and it's, I don't think many people. These, like many people I know are still caught up in just par- partying and, and the newest shoes that have come out and oh, the cloud so, chasers. Yeah, the cloud exactly. chasers, man. Credit card so, debt. Right. Yeah, so cloud chasing's a thing. It's uh and it's crazy, especially in fashion. Like the cloud chasing in fashion boggles my mind because it's so expensive and it changes from season to season. Like Well, it's crazy. I went to a store out here uh just yesterday and I saw it firsthand. The the lengths people will go to get the newest thing, and it's just... It's oh, dude, we're around the corner from one of the Supreme... Uh, oh, God. One of the Supreme shops, and, like, you'll walk by, they'll have the lines caged in and people fighting, fist fighting right. for, for Supreme jobs. It's gotten insane. Craziness. I do have some Supreme Supreme wear as well, but <laughs> I got it on the online drop. I would never wait in line with those heathens. That's another thing. When I got involved, you know... I like bought my first Bitcoin in 2013. I thought I was way late. Did you think you were late when you when you first found it? Um, yeah, I think you always think you're late. Right? No yeah. matter what, everyone no matter thinks what. they're late. I think. Yeah, and I don't. That's what I've. Yeah, you always think you're late. Like and there then, was some guy who found it like a year after the yeah. first Bitcoin was mine. He he came in. He he was late. You know, he thought he was late too. Probably. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that tweet where the guy. He says, bought at three, should have held on because it's now eight. And it's like, a, you know <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying? exactly. Like, and it's like, it's like every, I sold at five. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Um, yeah, no, I always think I'm late. But now I'm just like, now I don't really, 
I just stay buying. It just stay, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It really yeah. doesn't. Cause you're just buying a piece of uh, a finite amount. And that's once you realize that, once you really grasp that, that you're, you own something and no one can ever have it. And it's, it's a set amount. And then you're like, it doesn't really matter what price you buy at. Right. Digital real estate, baby. That's exactly what it it's is. It's a land grab. Join, join us. You will eventually submit if whether you do or not. Right. Sorry for getting heady there. Um, no, this has been a fa- fascinating conversation, man. Thank you again for pinging us and showing yeah, no up. No problem. Uh, Thanks for listening to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, keep it going because this. Oh, when I'm flying, I need to be need to have that content. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. We'll try to keep up, man. Oh, but yeah. no, again, dude, your your story is fascinating. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Is there anything you want to, uh, any parting notes you want to give to the freaks out there? Uh, I mean, just just stay learning. You know, I don't, I don't know. I just yeah, just um, keep stacking them sats, and and that's it. That is it. That's it, really. I mean, just keep stacking and learning along the way, and and also. Different from Bitcoin, but just kind of being like I was saying, being present in the here and now. Um, really focus on, you know, when you're having conversations with people, just being attentive and being being right there with them, instead of being all over the place and looking at your phone. It's kind of yeah, that's that's what I'd have to say. I think that's great advice to end on. Matt, you got anything? Stay humble, stack sets. Peace and love, freaks. Bye-bye.